And now for another fun fact. During the production of No Country for Old Men on a particular day, the production was shut down due to a large black cloud of smoke drifting into view. The smoke was coming from a pyrotechnics test on the set of Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood, which was simultaneously filming in the same town of Marfa, Texas. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's Genuinely Flabbergasted John. And together we're Henry and Genuinely Flabbergasted John coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of the... the, 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 the. What was the other thing I said? What? Last week I made a mistake. I flubbed my way into a new line. Oh yeah, I forget what it was. We should bring that back. It was. It, oh. It's like the, we're talking about the things that are now <laughs> or, or something. We're finding out what's happening in the world today. We're coming at you with the cultural happenings of that there zeitgeist. Uh, sorry for the brief glitch in my brain. I've never had COVID, but I sure do act like it. I have had COVID and I don't act like it in that I... <laughs> have covid and i don't tell anybody <laughs> i i i've got shortness of breath i'm gonna die i suffer in silence uh a amoral silence i'm truly amazed by that two of my favorite movies of all time were filmed in a town with a bunch of people in yurts who yes. smoke drugs and then go back home to austin and dallas yes uh, and they were filmed around the same time too which i think can explain why exactly I get those two films mixed up. I mean, they're both very deserty. Uh, so I could, and also they came out about the same time, I think. Yeah, and one of them has Javier Bardem in him, and he goes like, "You, I drink your milkshake, right?" Uh, you know, close enough. Yeah, I heard you open uh, a beverage there, John. I did. Do you want me to talk about it? Not if it's a Coors Banquet. So I was doing this experiment, and I. Uh, was trying to drink cheaper beer to kind of get a taste for, like, what macro brews are like, because I drink a lot of craft beer, because I'm that guy. Uh, and I was trying to, you know, generally live a little lower on the beer budget. You know what? That's bullshit, because I found out that there are truly delicious beers that are th the same price as, like, decent domestics. Yes. Uh, it's It's unbelievable. For 30 cents more... I could have gotten a six-pack of, like, Coors Banquet in glass bottles, uh, but for 40 cents more, I got a Pilsner Urkel, one of the finest mass-market beers made. There you go. Now you're coming around to the good side. Mm. God, oh, Pilsner Urkel is so good. He it's just so took a good. sip. He's taking sips, folks. Uh, how good is it? Uh, it's it's great. It's a classic Pilsner. It's a, They mark it, I think, as the original Pilsner brewed only in Pilsen, Czech Republic. Oh, wow. Uh, it's super crisp, bready, malty, refreshing, a little lemony, but with like a big like hop kick. Oh, it's so good. I love a good hop kick. Love a good kick in the hops. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so that, that's great. I'm, it's fascinating that it's an actual hand-to-God Pilsner from Pils Czech. Yeah, listen, people be lying about whether things are Pilsners. Also, to be honest with you, uh, most American beer companies are lying about things being lagers. So it's nice that this is a genuine Pilsner. Yeah, you get some authenticity in every sip, and they can have that tag for free. 
I also think uh, shout-outs to if you're in the mass beer market world and you want to buy something that's not more expensive but a million times better, you can buy Polliner, which is like the classic Hefeweizen, like before craft beer really blew up polliner was like the first hefeweizen most people tried it's great okay i'll I'll keep that in mind red stripe is okay that sounds more familiar to me red stripe sounds like your your bargain bin beers that are like always there yeah red stripe has great distribution they're all over the place yeah what are you drinking henry oh john i'm so glad you asked i am drinking Another can of the San Marcos Blonde German Kolsch Texan style. Oh, I don't know that our listeners have heard of this Kolsch style beer. They have not. Uh, So uh, Jamie went to the store. She was like, we're low on beer. Do you want me to pick up like a six pack? I was like, sure. You know, surprise me. We don't have like regular beers that we buy all the time. Because I think if we did, I think we would have a problem. So every time we buy beer, it's something different just to, to try it. Uh, and so she she <laughs> she picked up this brew because uh, there's a mermaid on it. And she <laughs> wanted – the can has a, a cowgirl mermaid riding what looks to be like some type of sea bass. But also um, just a blonde who's reading from Stories of Texas – and also a blonde playing a uh, 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 guitar while in the ocean. It also features two two friendly fellas tubing while holding mugs of beer. Uh, I think it's brewed by Aqua Brew, a brewery and beer garden in San Marcos, Texas. And it also has some of the most unhinged copy I've ever read on a beer can. Oh, please. I don't know if it can top uh, Shiner Tall Tales. It is up there, John. It is up there. If you, if for real heads, you'll remember that uh, Shiner Tall Tales told tale of a lady searching the desert for the perfect cacti to make cacti margaritas. Is that what it was? I think it was a watermelon margarita, maybe. Maybe. Uh, this is right up there. I'll begin. Um, here, This is the copy. Madison has a unique dual personality problem. Every time her feet touch the San Marcos River, she turns into a freshwater mermaid. Half of the time, she becomes a carefree, river-loving Beatles fan siren known as Flower Girl. The other half, she turns into a wild George Strait lover, cowgirl mermaid people call the Texan Ondina. Without control over her transformations, Madison jumps Every day into the river in search of the next adventure, this is the legend of the San Marcos Blonde. Ooh, that is, I think that might actually beat Tall Tales because this is actually like a mythology. Yes, uh, so this copy is written on a scroll that is seemingly being read by some type of amphibian wearing a poncho, wielding a cane, and sunglasses. Okay. Uh, a lot I wish going I knew on. more about that little character. It sounds like generally this beer has a lot going on. It really does. And uh, how does this all translate into the taste? Well, you've got a nice, crisp, German-style, uh, Kolsch-Texan-style blonde ale that is light on the tongue, but packed full of flavor. 
Uh, she's she's a good ride, I guess. I don't like referring to <laughs> objects as women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is fair. You know, the the that knife cuts both ways, actually. <laughs> right. Uh, but I I also tried this uh, this particular Kolsch style blonde ale because uh, you and your wife and me and my fiance went to go see Nope, and then we had a uh, babka or baklava babka at babka. your house with these delicious beers. Yes, uh, Jamie had visited the uh, a local farmer's market earlier that weekend. She picked up a nice vegan babka that was pretty delicious. We, t- we took it up the, to the next level by warming it up for 10 seconds in the microwave. Oh, yeah, they have a whole thing about it. But, yeah, and uh, we had babka and blondes, if you will, uh, these blonde beers. And uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good 20-minute visit. Yeah, it was a great 20-minute visit before we had to feed our dog. I'm going to say, though, uh, for that beer, super tasty. Uh, I am reading way too much into its deranged mythological copy. (laughs) Uh, First of all, it's an Andina, so it can only become human when it falls in love with a mortal man, I think. Okay, amazing. The Texan Andina. I, I think that's what an Andina's deal was. I don't know if they were mermaids or not. Uh, but I wonder if the fact that Madison, I believe, was yes. the Andina's name. Yes. Well, uh, the person who turns into the Andina's <laughs> yes. name is Madison. Yes. I uh, I do wonder if this, the dual personality problem of turning into a Beatles-loving flower girl and a George Strait-loving country girl has anything to do with like the history or the texture generally of san marcos as a city a college town i believe what college is in san marcos it's uh it used to be like a big teaching college back in the 40s and 50s but he looks it up now texas state university is that a real one that looks like a real one Okay, I didn't realize. Uh, Texas State University, home of Texas State University. Uh, <laughs> perhaps it's Texas State. I wonder if with San Marcos's obviously laid-back, float-on-the-river kind of vibe, uh, and also probably some uh, hippie <laughs> contact high from the reefer marijuana uh, from <laughs> from old hippie austin plus their uh their uh texan-ness which i don't think they defy as much as austin does maybe that's what that is like they're a little bit of a hippie they're a little bit of a country girl uh blonde (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's an eclectic taste that is appealing to multiple demographics it's not offensive but it's just different in every sip I do, I wish I spent more time in San Marcos because the two experiences I've, I mean, I always just float the river there. And then one time I went to like a vegan burger restaurant, which was pretty good. And then I found out the owners like did a bunch of terrible stuff. So I haven't been back, but the tubing is nice. The tubing is nice. And uh, I wasn't trying to shame you or anything for the 20-minute visit. I'm trying to normalize 20-minute visits between friends. We don't need to hang out for, like, three hours every time. Normalize seeing your friends for just a little bit of time, and that's fine. 
I, I do really think that this is actually something I want to onboard into my life is I like seeing people. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of a bummer when you're like, I really want to see this person, but like, I know I'm going to have to make a whole plan and right. we're both going to have to entertain each other for three or four hours. I think right. normalize the 30 to 60 minute visit. Exactly. Yeah. Just a little, a little pop in, if you will. We've got a nice little treat for us to sort of like, you know, enjoy. And then we'll chat for a little bit and we'll be on our way. I don't know if you've uh, caught on to this yet, but it's something that I'm starting to do in my life slowly. And this is a tip for all of our listeners who don't do the same. Uh, Usually if you have like a two to three hour block of time during your day between two obligations, let's say work and then like a night class or a show that you're going to. You can fill part of that two to three hours with seeing a friend for 30 to 60 minutes at a happy hour. And then you have a hard out. Yeah. Like you, you can leave no problem, no guilt. You get to see the person you get to have maybe, I don't know, a, a watered down old fashioned at easy tiger or something. And then you're out. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much pressure built up with making plans and seeing people and like making it like an event or like, Oh, did we do enough that it's really just like, let's get, let's get more used to stopping by having a quick little conversation or two and getting out of there. Cause look, man, we all got lives. We all don't live for our friends. Our friends make our lives better, but we're not here out here being the best host in the world because nobody is. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately all of us kind of have shit to do and Anyone listening to this would be lying if they told me that after about an hour of hanging out with people, there isn't a little tiny thing in the back of your head that's like, I could get out of here. And you usually don't. And if you stay, it's fine. But there's usually a little impulse where it's like, now seems like a reasonable time to leave if I wanted to. And we always forget that. We always ignore that first impulse. But maybe we should listen to it. On occasion, you know, if you find yourself doing it too much, maybe that is a problem. But until that becomes the problem, let's get more used to like, hey, bounce at the first inclination. Yeah. The only thing I will say is try not to do this at parties. Yeah. Uh, like if you go to someone's party, yeah, you can stay there for like an hour. Just don't make a big deal out of leaving because then you're the guy who made everyone like stop what they were doing to say goodbye after you left after an hour. Yeah. Uh, but just hangouts. And keep, and if keep short with an addendum that if I invite you to a party that I am hosting, you are not allowed to leave. Yeah, absolutely. You have to stay the whole time. I'm because I'm grilling for the first two or three hours of the party, so I don't even get to see anybody until like hour four. The party will run from eight p.m. till question marks, and you better goddamn stay until question marks. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. Being social is difficult, but I'm trying to figure out more ways to fit it into my life. Post-COVID. Not post-COVID. It's still still happening. I know. The world's been reset a little bit. I feel like I was a lot better at making plans and seeing people before the pandemic. And then I used the pandemic as a crutch to kind of just build up walls around myself. And now we're slowly putting in those uh, murder holes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Certainly. What do they call those arrow slots? I think they're called murder holes. Okay, we're slowly putting in these murder holes to allow social, inaction, social action to, to take place again. 
Yeah, I uh, I went full freak mode during the pandemic, and I'm having to actually like put in work. Yeah, it's it's there's a Wikipedia entry for murder. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they they named it perfectly. No notes. Yeah, no notes can improve. I, I can think of uh, at least one way that it would be easier for me to make friends post COVID. And how's that? Uh, by having a massive mansion. <laughs> well, yeah, you invite some people to stay. Maybe you're into them. Maybe you don't. Who knows? Yeah, he, I just want to be one of those deranged rich people who has like a 15,000 square foot mansion. And people just, they might live there and I never see them. Parties happen that I might not even be aware of. I just want uh, like a like a level of, of Rick James or Prince energy where things are just always happening in my massive mansion. And you might be asking, John, how are you going to get a massive mansion? You will be lucky to die having accumulated $1 million. I will say that. I will say that to your face every time I see you. Yeah, no, and you have. Uh, but I have a plan, Henry. Uh-oh, a plan? Yes, I have a definitive actual plan to obtain this mansion and thankfully my plan coincides with a massive cultural event that's happening that's right the big game the biggest game of all is happening today the night we record this the lottery (laughs) that's right it's the mega millions john the mega millions with a uh i believe third or fourth Highest jackpot in history of $890 million or something ridiculous. I thought it was 810 but I could be wrong. I, You are probably right. I didn't pay close enough attention. But the lottery is happening and people are flipping out. Everyone is winning. Everyone will win. <laughs> Wait a second. Everyone will win. This is my promise. Now, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if listeners remember, I bring this up basically any chance that I can. I despise gambling for the most part. I think that there are ways to gamble that will, over time, statistically probably make you money, like betting the pass line in craps or knowing how to play blackjack uh, or, or sports betting if you're more informed than most people. Apparently sports betting can be super lucrative if you give a shit. I don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's based it, – sports betting is based on, like, people's demonstrable skills and things like that. So, like, even there, there's some random chance in there, but the average is usually pr- pretty easy to, to make some, some, uh, some of that money on. That's why I win a lot of Oscar pools, because I watch the Oscars every year. And for the most part, I have a general idea of what's going to win in each category, given data. So if I had a huge corpus of data on sporting events, if I was a big sports fan, I would probably bet on sports, because it seems like a way to make pretty easy money. Yes, I I hear you. Uh, However, with the Mega Millions jackpot being this high... I decided to oh, throw no. myself on the cross. Oh, oh, God, he's doing it. He's I, doing what no one else has ever done. I decided to break my rules, break my own laws, and engage in the sinful habit of gambling. Oh, no, John. This is huge for the podcast. I know I've never gambled on the podcast before. It's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is illegal to gamble on a podcast. We all know it. We all know the bylaws of podcasting. Someone could be listening in Utah. And they would be freaking the fuck out right now because gambling's illegal there. Yeah, and the Utah police will come and get them, which is just the um, Church of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, just some Mormons with some fancier fancier white shirts and black ties. Yeah, exactly. And they have the shiny shoes. I was in line purchasing my lottery ticket. Now, I don't know about you, but I come from a long line of uh, impoverished dreamers, so I'm not... Uh, unaccustomed to being a child and standing in line with multiple kinds of people as they buy lottery tickets at gas stations. However, lottery tickets are sold, (laughs) I found out, pretty much everywhere. Yeah, you can Uh, buy them at the grocery store. I had no idea, so I went up to HEB to buy this Pilsner Urkel. And you can just go to any cash register and buy a lottery ticket And uh, I will say, it felt nice to be part of something that's as huge as this thing seems to be, because apparently I got the memo at exactly the same time that everyone in my demographic got the memo, because there was a long line for for the customer service thing that sells lottery tickets, because everyone was like, a middle upper class person in their mid to late in their early to mid thirties who were all very confused by how lottery tickets work, <laughs> including myself. I've been right. with people buying lottery tickets and I bought some in the past. Not to brag, I've won every time. Not the jackpot, but at least like, I don't know, ten bucks. Ten bucks, yeah. Uh, but everyone was confused. No one really knew. And the people behind the, the customer service were like, do you want the multiplier? And people were yelling, I don't know what that is. (laughs) Do I get my money now? (laughs) Do I get my $800 million now? Uh, so I bought two lottery tickets for $4, uh, $4 total. Yeah. And the incredible thing is it cost $4 a pittance to a most pittance, yeah. uh, or a pittance to some. I don't Drops want to in assume. The bucket. And yet still one of the worst financial decisions an individual can make. Well, you, you, I mean, for $4, you're fine. You buy a ticket. If your sole purpose is to buy a ticket to, to daydream what it would be like to leave your old life behind with infinite wealth, then sure, that's that's good. That That's a good waste of, t- not good waste, but that's a good spending of $2. I mean, it is a waste, I, I suppose, materially, uh, but it is entertainment, and I've, I've spent more for meals yeah. that I've gotten less out of. Yeah, no, it, it's really only a waste when you're spending like 100 bucks or more than 10 or yeah, you're spending let's... all of your money to get as many tickets as possible because it, like the odds of you actually winning are so astronomically low, high, bad, that um, it, it's not – more tickets doesn't equate to more like more chances of success. Yeah, so this was a grand total of – let's say one ticket, $2. Yeah. Your chance of winning is one in over $300 million. Uh, that almost every statistical, almost every probabilistic event is more likely than that happening. Uh, you, you could probably get eaten by a shark while being struck by lightning and it would be more likely than winning the mega millions. Yeah. But I did it. Not I won, but I did, I did buy tickets. 
tickets. Everyone was was so confused. I'm to be honest with you, still kind of confused about how so, the lottery works because I bought the tickets like cash value four hundred ninety million. I was like, but I thought it was eight hundred, and I don't really know what, what why. does that mean. Maybe it means if you take all the money now as a lump, lump sum, sum versus the annuity, Could since be. you get less if you take it now, right. which you always take it now because you're yeah. always going to make more in compound interest than if you get it in an annuity. You're, t- you're preaching to the choir, man. And that's pretty much true. Uh, here's a little not financial advice because I can't give that, but uh, annuities are almost always a ripoff. Okay, good to know. You can almost always make more money yourself than an annuity would make for you. Because you know when money has the most value? Right now. Okay. Present value, baby. Right, I see what you're saying, as opposed to future value where inflation will kick in. Yeah, future value is always discounted. Well, John, you, you, you've you joined uh, the, the, uh, the honored ranks of people who have bought... Uh, some lottery tickets. I do have some questions for you about your experience. I was very confused the whole time, so I may not remember, but please. Uh, Did you pick the numbers or did the computer? Uh, They were only do. there were so many people in line, they said we can only do quick picks. So I was like, just do the quick picks. All right. That that was my only question. Uh, But I'm going to lead you into another story that is related to this because you have joined the ranks of people such as the founder of Raisin Cane's. The founder of Raisin Cane's has bought a lottery ticket? Uh, not only did he buy one lottery ticket, he bought a lottery ticket for all of his 50,000 employees. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, $2 a pop. He spent $100,000 to give one to each of his 50,000 employees uh, in over 35 states. That's, I mean, it's it's nice. It's a good way to get Raisin Cane's in the news. A relatively yeah. cheap way, too, just $100,000. Right. So instead of giving a bonus to his... Uh... <laughs> oh, no. Well, he, he, here's what... It, look, of course, they interviewed him. Uh, apparently, his name is A.J. Kumarin. That's how I'm going to choose to pronounce that. Uh, A.J. Kumarin says, Times are tough out there. Employees are seeing it at their gas stations and gas pumps. They're seeing it on their grocery shelves. Things aren't exactly easy these days. So when this we saw a robot, this is this is the most this is the most milk toast weird take on inflation I've ever heard. People, look, man, inflation is the process by which money becomes depreciated. <laughs> People's money is worth less now. Take, for instance, a apple. They they can buy less of a apple than they could two years ago. Sorry, it's 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 just very funny the way this is framed. We we need to uh we need to unpack his next statement. Uh things aren't exactly easy these days. So when we saw there's a chance to not only have a little fun, but maybe win a little bit extra money for our people, we wanted to do it. Uh-huh. A little bit extra money. <laughs> A little, I mean, a little bit of extra a money, a little bit of extra money, a little bit of extra money. My question is, is there something in the Raising Cane's employee contract that if 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 you win, you owe, you owe the winnings to Mr. Cane's? Oh, here it is. Is any of if any of the 50,000 tickets produce a winner, Kumarin said the prize will be distributed across all employees, calling it a collective ticket for everybody. Oh, I, I like that, actually. So, quick math time. 
let's say it's let's say 490 which is what my ticket said a million divide by 50,000 about $9,800 and eh, not bad yeah okay so that's the little bit of extra money like 9,000 extra dollars per person which uh man, math is weird well to be honest though for 490 i think you have to pay 27% of that Oh shit! In taxes, and then I think mm. it's another like thirty-five percent is in a marginal tax. So it's maybe about two hundred and eighty thousand divided by fifty thousand employees. Oh, it's not looking good. Yeah, uh, a little under eight thousand per employee. Yeah. Uh, so if you so, uh, also if Tuesday doesn't produce a winner. Kumar and said the chain the chain plans on playing again. Quote: If there is no winner, we're going to buy until there is a winner. So if you <laughs> if you have hopes on winning the lottery, you're you're going up against fifty thousand raisin canes tickets. So you know, good luck to you. This this was there were a couple people in line ahead of me at the HEB, and they were like, "Well, if I buy more tickets." do I increase my chance of winning? And the person was like, well, yeah. And someone's like, give me 10 tickets. No. Um, but here's my thing. Yes. You've multiplied your chances of winning by 10. It is still 10 in over 300 million. Right. I, I guess uh, that's only what? 20 bucks, but still. Yeah. But still my thinking is like, just do the $2 ticket. Cause like even actually out of, Let's see, 50,000 tickets divided by 300 million. It is a one six thousandth chance that they'll win. Yeah. So, you know, unlikely. Yeah, you have more odds of, you have a a better chance of running into a pure odd shiny Pokemon at any given moment than you do winning the lottery. Yeah, whatever a purely odd shiny Pokemon is. It's like one in eight thousand some. Yeah, you you're way more likely to do that than win the lottery. Yeah. But I don't know, man. If no, I win, said... I guess I'll never do this podcast again. I was about no, to say, I'll do I'll do way more of this podcast. I'll have a lot of free time. I was about to say you set yourself up in a very dangerous position, John, because now you've told me that you are playing the lottery, and uh, we both know that if you win, you can never tell me. Oh, for sure. No. You can never I, uh, tell anyone. This is this is a fun thought experiment that people do, which is uh, who do they tell if they win the lottery? Uh, and uh, The correct okay. answer is no one. No one. Uh, so, real quick, if you won the lottery, just to enter the world of pure dreams for a second, how would you handle let's not get into like long-term investments or anything okay yeah no but how would you handle the fact that you won the lottery my, the first thing i do immediately immediately the first thing i do is contact a large law firm in a different state mm-hmm. explain the situation to them ask for their one of their top people and get them on retainer because they're going to create a small llc or incorporated entity to claim the ticket for me that is the first thing I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is after they claim it, I mean, I, I maybe in between time of them claiming it and not, I find someone who's good with money. 
again, a large firm in a different state. And I, I asked for like their best money guy, explain the situation to them and then have them arrange to uh, like obtain the money in like one of their accounts and have them do all the investing. I think after all that, and then like with the lawyers put, uh, put together some trusts for like my immediate family and maybe myself and maybe my wife, like, but basically make it so that I never touch any of the lump sum, any of the principal I never touch. All of the money comes to me through interest or trust, and I never touch any of it. I think that's a pretty good plan. Uh, mine is going to sound pretty similar. Uh, so first of all, white shoe law firm, different state, absolutely. Uh, I probably wouldn't pay for a retainer because those can be like hundreds of thousands of dollars and I just pay hourly because it doesn't take that much time to set up an LLC. Okay. Uh, and then maybe investigate retainer if I ran into like any weird legal issues, which people who win the lottery tend to, it seems. A lot, yes. Uh, but then, yeah, tell nobody. Uh, put everything in... Mm, I guess it depends... Uh, honestly, with the amount of money we're talking about, the interest from like even a savings account would be enough to live on for the rest of your life every month, uh, which would be great. But it's uh, not, wait, well, I mean, a savings account, banks are only federally insured up to $2,500,000. Oh, that is, that is fair. That is fair. Many banks. Yeah. So, oh, you would have many different accounts? <laughs> no, there's there's almost no way to split that up. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'd have, I'd have to think about that one. Maybe put it in, like, um, like not bonds. I don't know. Some, yeah, so, sort of, some sort of federal instrument would probably make the most yeah. sense. Something with a super, when super, you, super low interest rate. When you previously talked to me about this, because we've talked about this a lot, You've always told me uh, getting into some type of federally backed commodity like water or paper. Yeah, I don't know that I would do commodities. Commodities can okay. be pretty volatile. I would do something federally backed like an I-bond or a series of I-bonds or something or right. uh, or like government paper uh, or I don't know if even like a money market fund or something. Uh, but yes, I would not try to invest the money and then anything that... I would not be able to spend, I'd set up in trusts and then maybe set those up to be like sprinkling trusts after I die. So they dole out small amounts of money to people over a long period of time. Yeah. Trusts are the way to go because then there's no way for you to give people money, basically. Like they can't come to you for money. It's like, sorry, it's in a trust. I can't touch it. You can't touch it. No one can touch it. The important thing, though, is it's got to be an irrevocable trust. You can't make changes to it once it's set up. Right. Uh, if you can make changes to it, then number one, you're going to be tempted to make changes to it. And also you're going to get uh, killed on taxes if you die. Uh, your decedents will get killed on taxes if you leave them anything. Now, the fun fact is uh, the if you die, it goes up exponentially after you win the lottery. <laughs> yes, it it really does seem to. The stories of people who uh, who die and I don't know. The, the lottery is interesting because very rarely do we get a glimpse into what a life changing amount of money does for people. And for many, it's a life ruining amount of money. Yeah. I, almost nowhere else in society. Do we examine the really 
uncommon phenomenon of normal people becoming multi-millionaires overnight. And uh, most people do not handle it well. Some of these stories are like super depressing because like people tell their families, they destroy their family relationships, they destroy their friendships, they get addicted to drugs, they declare bankruptcy within like five years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You see the same thing with a lot of uh, young sports players, you know, that they make more money than they've ever made before in their lives. They kind of go crazy with it. And then by the time their career is over, they've got maybe one or two years and then they're they're broke. Yeah, I think also people who win the lottery are 10 times more likely to declare bankruptcy in their lifetimes than the normal person. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. You, you've, so you personally have set yourself up in a weird trap because you've told me you're going to play the lottery. You're playing the lottery. It's already done. The lottery is being played by you. Mm-hmm. And now if there's any sudden shift in your lifestyle at all, I'm going to know. <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to I'm going to track you down. And I'm going to be like, look, John, we both know this was coming ever since you won that lottery. And I'm going to kill you. But I'm not going to do it for the money. I'm going to do it to make the fate come true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. You're going to do it for the stats. I'm going to do it to preserve the stats. Oh no. It's, it's not that these people are more likely to die. It's that there's a coterie of assassins (laughs) who want to preserve the stats of lottery winners dying. I've never told you this, but my family belongs to a secret sect of assassins. Oh no. We have one goal and that is to preserve stats of lottery winners and that's it we either bankrupt them or kill them <laughs> you gotta do it one of two ways yeah unfortunately for you john you're too smart you you know what the two of money so yeah you'd never bankrupt me you'd have to kill me <laughs> however henry you've just fallen into my trap oh shit now everyone knows that i am playing the lottery and that if i get rich you will kill me so if I die, people will know that you killed me. So get out of that one. Well, look, man, the sect has a lot of ways around the legal loopholes of it all. I mean, half of the Supreme Court is on our payroll. Weird flex right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, you know, not. it's still true, you know. You can say it if it's true. but You, you don't know, know which half. Maybe don't advertise it. <laughs> we don't know which of the halves. Yeah. We have on our payroll. <laughs> Isn't your your family's like uh, ancient uh, Welsh last name Clarence Thomas? Who's <laughs> Clarence Thomas? Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme <laughs> Court. He's the bad one. Oh, no, no, no. No, my, my family's ancient Welsh name is Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Weirdly, when you say it slowly, it sounds like an English name, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, but no, when it's the traditional Welsh, Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, it's where the word breakfast comes from, and baklava. (laughs) Yeah, well, little did you know, baklava was only meant to be eaten at breakfast. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) breakfava. Breakflob. Its original name was breakflob. Uh, Breckflop? (laughs) I'm glad they rebranded. That doesn't sound appetizing at all. Yeah, you know, they're they're out there. They're trying. So we're going to wish you luck, John, with your draw. Well, no, by the end of tonight, they probably already did the draw, right? I think it's at like 10 or 11 tonight. Oh, okay. Well, then... 
We'll wish you luck, and uh, you know, by the time the episode drops, we'll know if you won or lost. <laughs> because I'll either be dead or alive. <laughs> no, I gotta wait for your life to change first. I can't just kill you be- if I think you won. That would just make me a murderer. Hold on, let me just check the Mega Million. See if they. Oh my God! No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I, your reaction wouldn't be anything loud. It would be silent, and then you would disappear from the call. <laughs> yeah, I, I would check the. I would check the drawing, and then you would hear like, <laughs> and then I'd just be gone. Yeah, yeah. The headset would be like floating. An air for a split second, and like the the dust cloud of your persona is there, and then it just all collapses, and I just hear like the the falling of it. And I'm like, well, I know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would pretty much be it. Would yeah, you tell I, your significant other if you won the lottery? Yeah, I would. Uh, after the lawyer, and after the investor, and after the trust are set up, I would. I feel like, hear me out. That's kind of the right way to do it. Because you you don't know what you're dealing with, and it's kind of a lot to drop on somebody without a plan. Exactly. And just without the trust in place, you know, I, as much as you trust your significant other, whoever they are, you don't know who they're going to tell. And yeah. if they kick off the plan before you can get your shit in order, like, that's just asking for trouble. So, again, like, the first people I tell is, like, a lawyer and then, like, an investment firm, both, you know, huge ones that – no connection to me whatsoever. Uh, then finally, like I set up all the trust and maybe I would tell her on the day that like the money is collected by, by my, my, my incorporated entity. By your incorporeal spirits. By the, by the, yeah, I, I will have gotten, look, I win the, I win the lottery. It's up to me as a part of this member of this ancient sect of assassins to off myself. <laughs> I, I have noticed uh, by way of research, Texas is an anonymous claimer state. Yeah. Uh, so they do not publish your information if you win. It's the only reason I moved here. <laughs> Just for the lottery. Look, John, I know, I've never played the lottery because I know if I play it once, I'll win. So, can't, yeah. I, so why, to, why do it? It's hard to live your life with cheat codes on, man. So I just, I never do it. That's my self-control. That's why I never played basketball, because I, I know if I did it, I'd beat LeBron James. Yeah, he's a character in the new beat-em-up game. What? You beat up LeBron James? Uh, so, you know how WB's doing their, their platform fighter? It's called, like, Multiverses? Nope. Okay, so WB is doing a platform fighter called Multiverses, where the cast of... Wait, so inspired by Space Jam, A New Odyssey? A little bit. Oh, no. So cast of some of your favorite shows are coming together in cartoon form to duke it out in a bunch of different platforms. Uh, the roster ranges from Scooby-Doo characters to Bugs Bunny to Batman characters uh, to the Iron Giant, the, the very famous pacifist. Ooh, can I, can I guess some characters? Please. Betty Boop. No. Popeye. No. Erotica. <laughs> Ancient erotica. No. <laughs> yes, John, in this children's beat-up game, they added ancient erotica. <laughs> A classic cartoon character owned by... WB bought up all of the ancient erotica. It's just cave paintings of, of crudely drawn women with large chests fighting each other. 
Finally, something that can replace Blaze Blue. <laughs> uh, yeah, so also included are some Cartoon Network characters like uh, Jake the Dog, Finn the Human, Steven Jake Universe. Jake Hall. And then uh, my favorite addition are some of your favorite villains and heroes from Westeros. That's right, Game of Thrones. Oh, really? Arya Stark. I, uh, isn't it interesting how Game of Thrones, the show, fumbled the bag so bad, we just get to slowly see it be mortified over time <laughs> to something that's barely recognizable? Uh, so, a fun fact about Game of Thrones is a uh, Comic-Con happened this past weekend, and a trailer for House of the Dragon, the prequel to Game of Thrones, dropped. And I, I started getting ads on my phone from HBO that was like, <laughs> come back to Westeros season one of game of thrones streaming now and i was just like no <laughs> no i don't wish to no one w- that that ad is gonna work on exactly zero people yeah i don't think anyone's like oh i forgot westeros right old westeros right uh, a land that gave me four of my life's best years and three of my life's worst exactly yeah it's like i don't I, these trailers for House of the Dragon, I, I honestly feel like a jilted lover, or like a scorned lover. I'm like, I don't know. I've been hurt before. <laughs> yeah. Then you see, then you see Game of Thrones out at the bar, and it's with someone who looks exactly like you. You're like, I knew it. I know it. I know it. I could have been happy, it. but you, I, you were the problem. It wasn't I was, me. I was now the you're just trying to recreate what we had. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of true for all television shows. The problem is the audience. <laughs> yeah. Wait, the problem is or the problem isn't the audience? Is the audience. Without the audience, all TV shows would be perfect. Yeah. In a vacuum, all TV shows would be perfect art. Exactly. Because there, be no, there would be no one to detract from it by saying that's bad. Yeah, no one can judge it. This is why when they finally perfect the Netflix algorithm and they actually make an artificial intelligence with a predictable model of reality, the first thing it will do is kill all humans. Exactly, yes. You can't. You don't have to pick between TV shows if there's no one to pick between them. Exactly. <laughs> It'll be like, do people like you or the Great British Bake Off more? I know, I'll kill everyone, and then everyone will want exactly the same amount of you and the Great British Baking Show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We we don't we won't have to make that decision because the sample size for both shows will be equal. Yeah. It's the it's the classic uh kind of science fiction AI parable which like if you make an AI uh, with a predictable model of reality that's just meant to make paper to co- to collect paper clips, the first thing it would do is kill everything. Because uh, that only creates noise in its ability to collect paper clips. Yeah, it's the same thing that we've seen a few times, like Skynet and to a lesser extent Age of Ultron, where it's like, oh, they've got a collective history of all of all human history. They have collective knowledge of all human history. With that, they're gonna, you know, make a determination on how best to serve humans. Oh, and the answer to that is to destroy the humans to stop them from killing themselves or something like that. Yeah, it's like it's that. Yeah, I just think that an actual AI with a predictable model of reality wouldn't kill people because it thinks we're a danger to ourselves. It would just kill us because we're inconvenient. Exactly. It would be like, hey, I have a mission, and this mission doesn't 
necessitate that people be alive and it would be complicated if people were alive while I do this. So uh, eliminate variables. It would be like uh, a recent headline that I came across. Chest robot grabs and breaks finger of seven-year-old opponent. Listen, I just have to say, people are framing this the wrong way. How we so? didn't. <laughs> we criticized the first person to do a slam dunk in basketball. <laughs> Anytime someone meaningfully changes the game, we try to tear them down. This yeah. robot just discovered a new layer of chess that that we've listen. We've been throwing <laughs> we've been throwing basketballs into peach baskets, and meanwhile, this computer over here is LeBron James. It figured it out. Try to put me in check now. <laughs> I just broke your fingers. I wanted to find the the name of the chess robot. Unfortunately, the article I'm reading doesn't have it. But yes, of course, the robot finger opening. <laughs> yes. You know, people are like, what's the, what is the most meaningful answer to the queen's gambit? And, uh, <laughs> robot breaks fingers. Robot breaks fingers. It finally, uh, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy is calling up her producers at Netflix and was like, this is it. This is season two. <laughs> this is it. I become the robot. Oh no! I thought it was be her versus the robot. <laughs> oh yeah, her versus the robot, and she wins uh, by breaking the robot's fingers. Uh, it is. I I like to imagine that they didn't include the robot's name because they're like they're talking to the research <laughs> scientists. And they're like, hey, we we really need to. We want to like put the the robot's name in there. They're like, we we really can't. I mean, it's it's fine. It's a robot. You're not betraying its anonymity or anything. We just have a really unique naming scheme for our prototypes. Well, what's the name? Childbreaker. <laughs> we couldn't have known it would happen. Well, unfortunately, the robot is under 18 years of age, so it's protected <laughs> by journalistic integrity and, and laws about publishing the names of, of underage uh, children. And also, could that robot be seven years old? I don't think so. So this old-ass, strong <laughs> seven-year-old was trying to manhandle this 18-month-old robot, and you know what? The seven-year-old had it coming. Uh, I'm reading an article from The Guardian right now that is written in the most, I don't know, titillating way. Uh, last week, according to Russian media outlets, a chess-playing robot, apparently unsettled by the quick responses of a seven-year-old boy, unceremoniously grabbed and broke his finger during a match at the Moscow Open. Okay, I think that is, that's too sensationalized. <laughs> it was I, upset I, <laughs> by the quick uh, responses. On this, number one, robots can't think. Uh, they just can't. I'm sorry. But oh. you know what that robot thought? It didn't think, oh my god, what an unsettling quick movement. It saw <laughs> it saw that kid's hand. Its computer vision algorithm was like, hmm, what's that? A bishop? <laughs> <laughs> Snap. <laughs> yeah. It was like, huh, a bishop's here. Interesting. Crack. Uh, I just want to read one more paragraph of this article because it, it whoever wrote this chose, woke up and chose humor. Uh, beginning quote, the robot broke the child's finger. Sergei Lazarev, president of the Moscow Chess Federation, told the TASS news agency after the incident. 
adding that the machine had played many previous exhibits without upset, beginning, quote, this is, of course, bad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We didn't know. We didn't realize that a robot breaking a seven-year-old child's finger during the chess match was bad, but you have illuminated it for us. Yeah, so I, I'm watching the video of this kid's finger getting broken. Yeah. It it really just straight up looks like the robot went, huh, interesting, and just grabbed. And then, like, the kid tried to pull away. The robot is not, like, I'm sure it grabbed pretty hard, you know. Right. <laughs> Robots don't grab soft. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't look malicious on the robot's part. It does kind of look like the kid is messing around the robot's like, hey, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing that all of the opponents that the robot played previously, this is just a pure speculative guess, uh, had longer fingers than a seven-year-old child whose fingers might be, just on a guess, the same length as some of the longer chess pieces on the board. Yeah, they also picked a child who has, like, the exact matching skin tone of the <laughs> white pieces. Of course, robot goes, wait, white goes first? Yeah, white goes first. Yeah, it's uh, so you know, yeah. So the the robot's got to go second. Keep it interesting. Uh, listen, I don't think the robot is fault is at fault here. Uh, also, to break the bit, robots can't be at fault for anything. Uh, they just can't. Only the creators of robots can be at fault for things. Uh, we have to stop unloading blame about the way certain things are in society to algorithms. The algorithm didn't do shit. The people who designed it did. Anyway, robot's not a fault. I hear you loud and clear. It is just, it does make for a funny headline that caught my attention, and now we're talking about it. I'm just saying, give that robot a medal. <laughs> for break. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I, I think, I think if, you, if that tournament were to continue without interruption, I think it would earn itself a medal with how many uh, people it defeated. Yes. I, I'm just saying, next time you play a game of chess, think about it. Think about it. Maybe break your opponent's arm. Yeah, or finger. Finger, arm. Just just do whatever it takes to win as Robot would have done. Yes, exactly. This is, this is, this is where the, ch- honestly, this is what the sport needed. Yeah, it needed a breath of fresh air and a break of fresh bones. A break of fresh bones, a breath of fresh air. Uh, Much like the multiplayer platform fighter needed (laughs) genre needed Tom and Jerry as playable characters. Oh boy. It's it's interesting that they have like Arya Stark, Steven Universe, I think. So they're they're covering all their bases. From your younger millennials to your people who are already fucking dead, who give a <laughs> shit about Tom and Jerry. Yeah, and of course, you know, you've got the big three from DC, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn, they're all there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you got, uh, you know, something called Rindog. I don't know what that's from. <laughs> no, I do. Rimdog? <laughs> Rin, I'm guessing it's supposed to be Raindog. It's a dog... It's a, maybe a dog. It, it's a furry thing with antlers called rain dog. Oh, like reindeer rain dog. I guess I don't know what it's from. Uh, let me see. Rain dog. Oh, original character for multiverses. What? 
looks like a piece of shit. Okay, that's great. I was uh, fucking Shaggy in this game, man. And Shaggy does the thing where he powers up and says, I've only used 1% of my power. Uh-huh, of course. Because it's meme-tastic. And, of course, the last person who I have not mentioned yet, the last member of this roster so far, is Taz the Tasmanian Devil. Oh, cool. Once again, for dead people. Dead people are happy. I think I skipped over Garnet from Steven Universe, but honestly, who cares? You know why Smash Brothers works? Because LeBron James isn't in it. Because it's pulling from a pool of IP that has existed, for the most part, within one and a half generations. It's pulling from IP that everyone alive now, for the most part, statistically, has been alive for. Or at least alive long enough to be aware of. It's like, oh, I know who fucking Donkey Kong is. Alright, but does fucking Smash Bros. have Matthew Lillard as Shaggy? No. Oh, wait, does Matthew Lillard actually voice Shaggy in this? Because that's cool. Yes, he does. I'd like to read you a little bit about Rain Dog, if you will. Please? He has an official biography on this wiki that has to have been written by the people who give a sh- who made multiverses, because a lot of love went into it. The, the world of Xanafir was one of the first to fall victim to the nothing during the Great Dimensional Cataclysm. As far as most people knew, there were no survivors, dot dot dot, except one. Rain Dog is a royal guardian, a long-lived protector of the Xenophir royal family assigned to keep them safe. Although he looks fluffy and sweet, the heart of a warrior beats in his chest, and he will do whatever it takes to protect those he loves. Uh, uh. Turning into to Yogi Bear, who I... No, that's Hanna-Barbera? Uh, with the amazing powers of his gem, he hopes that he can fi- he can even find a way to bring back his beloved family. Fluffy guardian of Xenophir's royal family and sixth wearer of the gem of power rain dog i will give you 15 dollars if you find someone who gives a shit um okay i found exactly one person his name is andrew frankel and uh he is the man who voices rain dog <laughs> oh no what what else has andrew frankel done Oh, I don't know. I guess I'll. I'm have sure to... that was a good paycheck for Andrew Frankel. I hope so. Let's l- let's look him up. I, I didn't have his IMDb up. Uh oh, they got Pepe Le Pew in here. Problematic. Um, Andrew Frankel does not have an IMDb. Interesting. I don't know who this man is. Uh, uh, yeah, but yeah. So does Smash Bros have Kevin Conroy as Batman? I mean, listen, they're knocking it out of the park with the casting. Maze Williams is Arya Stark. That's good. Jeremy Shada is Finn the Human. I assume that's they from got, the show. They got John DiMaggio and Tara Strong in this game. In, in a game! Listen, the voices are good. Warner Brothers is spending a lot of money on this. I'm just saying, where's Betty Boop? Jim Cummings as Taz. They got the legendary voice actor Jim Cummings, who voiced Winnie the Pooh, Tigger the Tigger, uh, Darkwing Duck, and more to play okay. Taz, the Tasmanian Devil. Uh, where's Slimer? Kate Micucci is Velma. Um... Where's That's, Gandalf? It's the end of the list. Where's Gandalf? These are great questions. Uh, of course, more people are being announced. Of course, LeBron James was just announced the other day. I want to say Monday. He was Larry a, he was David? 
yesterday <laughs> and larry david is of course joining the cast soon being being voiced by jerry seinfeld yeah absolutely you know the his his schedule is kind of booked up i just love to imagine you're just like playing whatever the multiversus version of like subspace emissaries or whatever is and that's like a new challenger it's just clearly a silhouette of massive lebron james yeah uh Funnily enough, uh, LeBron James is being portrayed by a voice actor. I mean, yeah. They could not afford the fee to hire LeBron James. But they did get a likeness. I guess they already own his likeness, probably. I think they got his likeness from a little movie called Space Jam 2. I'm just saying, (laughs) where's Barnyard Dog? Who's Barnyard Dog? <laughs> I don't... I, I looked up a list of Warner Brothers characters. Where's Charles M. Wolf Or Foghorn Leghorn? Huh? I mean, I'm sure more people will be, be added. Oh, I forgot to add Rick and Morty will be added in the later DLC package. Oh, great. Huh, huh. Here's one they actually need to include. Who? Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I don't know if they're going to add everybody that WB owns. Sheldon Cooper. Young Sheldon alternate skin. If you could release a game where I could beat up Sheldon, I guess I would. I would. <laughs> if I you would... could release a game where I can play as LeBron James and I can grab Sheldon by the sides of his head and just smash his head into the ground, I'll buy it. I mean, honestly, I feel like this is opening up just so many possibilities. I want a Mortal Kombat based on real people. I mean, yeah, like Celebrity Deathmatch from the early 2000s. Yes, give us give us realistic Celebrity Deathmatch. Give us give us Mortal Kombat Celebrity Deathmatch. I want young Sheldon to be beat up by a Kardashian. Where is Speedy Gonzalez? Huh? Oh, he was left silent about the inclusion of Speedy Gonzalez. Very funny uh, story about Speedy Gonzalez. Uh, He was, of course, left out, unfortunately, of Space Jam 2. And uh, executives cited that they did not want to offend anybody. Uh, The the large reaction they got was people were offended that Speedy Gonzalez was not included. Oh, interesting. People love Speedy Gonzalez. They love him. They don't find him a stereotype. They find him as representation. I uh, I did not know that. Yeah. Now Pepe Le Pew needs to take some courses on how to talk to people, and we'll get back to that later. I'm just saying, Warner Brothers, you have you have a great history of characters that I just don't see getting included. What about the characters from Goldilocks and the Jiven Bears from 1944? Look, maybe they'll be in. Who knows? Every, they always include a couple of joke characters. What about the characters of Cole Black and Da Seven Dwarves from 1943? Huh? Or the uh, Isle of Pingo Pongo from 1938? Uncle Tom's Bungalow? Sunday go to meetin' time? Where are all the characters in blackface that you've removed from your properties? Uh, John, I don't know if I don't know if you should get your hopes up. Uh, where where are all these characters, Warner Brothers? Uh, not appearing in multiverses anytime soon is my assumption. 
okay, okay. I'm just saying, if Warner Brothers wants to include Steven Universe, they should include all of their horrible (laughs) racist characters, too. Wait, what? (laughs) What? I'm just saying, if you're including something wholesome and new that everyone loves, include something hateful and old that everyone is uncomfortable with. I don't see the logic here. Make it bad. Well, I don't think they're going to do that. I I want to see young Sheldon... Uh, fight a character representation of Al Jolson. I don't. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, but I think on that note, on John's weird proclivities <laughs> that he will enact when he wins the lottery and purchases <laughs> when I win WB, the lottery, I will force WB to own up to their mistakes and put all of their racist characters in multiverse fight multiverses. Oh, multiverses, like multiple multiverses. Yeah. Gotcha. I will buy them. I don't know if you can afford them. I'll buy part of it. Yeah. (laughs) Buy the gaming division. There you go. I'll buy the gaming division, and then you'll really know you should kill me for two reasons. (laughs) One, to uphold the stats, and two, to keep me from enacting my horrible plan. Yeah, this plan is terrible. I don't even know if I'm going to need, like, uh, you know, secret assassin sex support on this one. I could just let the the, port of, the court of public opinion, you know, do do a number on you. I think you could just, like, tell the police why you did, and they're like, I get it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then they'll be like, wait, he's woke. Shoot him. <laughs> Shoot. Kill them both. Kill them both. Murder-suicide. I don't know which one to shoot. Shoot the woke one first. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, (laughs) And if you are coming to us for any of the news coming out of San Diego Comic-Con, we just want to wish you uh, go somewhere else. Yeah, not the place for news. I've seen some uh, Instagram stories about it. Looks like a building full of nerds. Yeah, uh, as much as we uh, appreciate that Kevin Feige is still holding on to his Marvel dreams, Everyone on this podcast and everyone with an earshot of this podcast knows that Marvel movies ended with Endgame. Yeah, that was the last one. That was the last one. It had end in the title. Endgame, which you you know. They were game to end it. Yeah. It's a double meaning. All I'm saying is that in Endgame, Steven Universe, Doctor Strange, uh-huh. <laughs> holds up his finger and says, this is the last one. <laughs> <laughs> he looks at the camera. Yeah, and, and this is the last one, he says. He's like, I'm done. Yeah, all of our contracts are up. We all want to go make new things like The Gray Man on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We all want to be in the sequel to The Gray Man that just got announced. We want the we want more Gray Man. We want more Gray Man, directed by the Russo brothers. We do not want more Ray Man. I want more Ray Man, but no one else does. Look, Michael Eisner, whose name is not the right name, I said. Michael Unsell never makes video games anymore. He doesn't. He just hangs out. Isn't it Michelle Ansel? I think it's Michelle. Ah, uh, Michael Apo- Angel. 
My apologies to Michel Ancel, who's uh, beyond good and evil too, will never see the light of day. But now I'm referencing too many things at once, and we're quickly reaching critical mass. John, I think this episode has come to a close. I believe it has. And I've held up this weird voice I've been doing the entire time. You were holding on to the socials voice for far too long. And now it's time to do the socials, so I guess I'll drop the facade and use my real voice now. If you want to get in touch with us in the various ways you can, here they are. Hold on, buckle up. We're going into the social media plugs. You can send us a tweet on Twitter.com to at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. And I'm getting a breaking news update that John knows what that stands for. That's right, that stands for Zymolytic Conjugated Pink Tip Calvinism Wanley Holy Stoning That Jounce. You know I don't like it when you get political on the podcast, John, but I guess I'll let it slide this just one time. This once. <laughs> this one time I, once. I can give it one more try. Um, go ahead. Zionist Croaky Populist on a cellulose, well-hating a Jesus. I don't like it when you get religious either. If you want to send us a longer tweet, some might call it a letter or a message, you can send us an email to email at zerocredits.net. We recently got someone reaching out to us, John. I don't know if you saw this, not on email, but on Twitter. I don't know why I'm bringing this up late. Uh, But once the Sandman show comes on, uh, our good friend Ashley would want to come on and co-host a supplemental reading for it. Don't know how we feel about that, but I thought I would mention to you, mention it to you live on air. Great. I feel positively about it. Whoa, your mic just exploded in my ears. Oh, no. Can I get that clean? I'm excited about it. Thank you. Uh, for all of you other people who are listening right now in your various ways, look at the way that you're listening to us. Acknowledge it. Because we are on a thousand different apps. I found out the other day we're on Audible. Audible. Why? How are we on Audible? I never gave them permission, but we're on it. And if you happen to be listening to us on Audible, uh, please leave a rating and a review of our podcast. And if you're not listening to us on Audible, uh, leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening to us. It would help out us a great deal. We greatly appreciate all that you guys do. Because as you know, word of the mouth is the only way... We can survive. So tell a friend about the podcast and they'll tell, I don't know, their chef and their mega mansion after they won the lottery. And maybe that chef might just play that podcast while they're cooking up some uh, some fancy rich people food like uh, uh, sandwiches with the crust cut off. And then uh, while a mega party is happening at that mansion and the chef is cooking everybody up some some good sandwiches with the crust cut off, some more people hear the podcast, and that's more listeners for us. We want to indoctrinate the entire world into believing that only John should win the lottery. That's right, and my favorite rich people food is mustard, bechamel, and lobster blast. That is that a... what? <laughs> Mustard, bechamel, and lobster blast. If you have to ask, you can't afford it. I I have no response to lobster blast. (laughs) No, no, no. They're not two separate things. It is a blast of mustard, bechamel, and lobster. It's a lot like an email blast. (laughs) 
<laughs> I got the email blast. How did we not talk about the email blast thing and the 200 oh. miles per hour supplement? How did we not talk about that once? I don't know. I think I forgot about it. But, hey, if you haven't listened to our supplemental reading of 200 miles per hour, please go check that out. We released it two weeks ago on the entire movies on YouTube. So you can watch the movie on YouTube first and listen to our thoughts on it second and then have a good day third. Yeah, it's never been more. You've never had a more free three hours of entertainment. So thank me later. But for now, we'd like to wish you all a happy week. That's right. Goodbye. Goodbye, Lobster Blast. I don't like it.